2: Thank you, Carl and Sarah. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Courtney Ring and in today for Scott Wapner. Earnings front and center this hour as investors sift through a big batch of this morning's results and gear up for two huge tech titans reporting after the bell. Our investment committee is standing by to help you navigate it all. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, and Jason Snipe. Let's get a quick check on markets here. Just about at session lows here. Dow Jones Industrial Average down about four-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq is the laggard down more than a percent as we wait for some of those big tech results. The S&P 500 down just about a percent or so when it comes to sectors consumer staples leading the way along with utilities a little defensive play there and then energy is pulling up the uh, rear there so the countdown is on just under four hours before we get those first batch of big tech earnings alphabet microsoft both out results out with results after the close so what's at stake for the market as we await these critical results josh brown there's so much to talk about whether it's cost cuts whether it's ai whether it's cloud you pick where you want to go
3: Oh wow. My 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 choice. Your choice. Uh, I actually I want to talk <laughs> I want to talk about volatility, Courtney, and I okay. want to share with you something that we've been talking with our clients about because I think it really highlights how different the market environment is this year versus what we all lived through last year. Hmm. You know, we're still trading just about where we were last summer on the S&P, but people seem to feel so much better. I think part of that is because we are staring at perhaps the last rate hike of the cycle later next month. But if you think about volatility, this is a night and day environment. In 2022, the NASDAQ had 46 separate days where it was down 2% or worse. It had 18 days where it was down 3%. If you look at what's gone on this year so far, and I know it's only April, but bear with me, we've only had two trading days with the Nasdaq down 2%. uh, We've had zero days of negative 3%. um, And even in the S&P, it's a radical difference. So right now, you got a VIX that's up about 5%, let's call it 18. That is still one standard deviation below its mean, which is 21. The median VIX for 2023 is about 19. And the median VIX for 2022 was 25 which is an order of magnitude greater. So even though we're in this situation where earnings are just so-so, we don't have the volatility to match with all of the opinions and all of the headlines. And I think that that's really what's been key so far this year to understand. And in that environment, there's a certain type of stock that tends to do really well, and it happens to be large cap, growth at a reasonable price, and those are the biggest stocks that affect both the NASDAQ and to a greater extent, the S&P 500. And that's where we stand right now.
2: Very interesting take. I mean, I hear what you're saying about the market feeling better, but so many others are talking about complacency or even some of the companies that we've heard from feeling more like they're in a wait and see mode. They actually put up some pretty strong earnings. But when it comes to forecasting the future, we're just not sure. Jason, what's your take right now? I guess let's let's start broader markets before we drill down into some of these mega cap tech names that Josh is is suggesting may do well in this environment.
4: Yeah. So I I think what's super interesting when we think about the market in general, there's been a lot of concern about this earnings apocalypse Mm -hmm. that we really haven't experienced. I mean, 77 percent of companies have beat on EPS and about 73 percent have beat on revenue thus far. Um, Looking forward to the tech earnings that we'll see. Uh, we'll hear from Google. We'll hear from Microsoft this afternoon. I think what we're expecting is some deceleration uh, on cloud, mm-hmm. which I think, and, and for me, I think it's more like right-sizing what cloud, uh, what cloud growth has been in, in in a normal economy. And I think we'll see some of that. Um, for Microsoft in, in particular, I think PCs are is a concern for me. I think the PC there's been some PC slowdown as an absolutely, um, but I, you know. I think what's good about this week is we're seeing the entire market. It's not just financials what we saw earlier in the cycle. We're seeing, we're hearing from other companies like Pepsi this morning to had some really strong earnings. We heard from P&G last week, some of the staplers that are doing well. So um, I, I, I do think I'm, I'm relatively optimistic on how earnings have gone thus far and we'll see how the rest of this week goes.
2: Stephanie, it's a really big day here for tech earnings after the bell. Yeah. What are you expecting out of Microsoft? Jason brings up, of course, the weak PC shipments and sales, which we do expect. Um, what about what's going on in the cloud?
5: Oh, I think it's all about what's going on right. in the cloud. And I, I think this is a very, very big week. We know that all of these companies represent such a big part of the overall market, mm-hmm. right? And technology and comm services yeah. alone, 35% of the S&P 500, they better do good. Yeah. But I don't know <laughs> if they're going to. I know we've all been talking about cloud decelerating. and kind of sales cycles extending 50% from 30% sequentially. Mm. We're, se- we're hearing about price discounts. We're hearing from CIOs who are pulling back mm. on spend. So we're all expecting cloud to decelerate. It's just how much does it decelerate? Then you f- then you look at Google. Not only do they have the, the cloud problems, but they have digital advertising problems, right? That, there's that. I think YouTube will be fine, actually. I think that's going to be the bright spot. On Microsoft, they have PC problems, along with cloud problems. So, There's a lot to digest. These stocks are up 20% on the year. They're not cheap. And I think the risk reward isn't that great. I mean, I own Meta, and that risk reward really scares me, too, because it's up even more. It's up 70% on the year, right? But I do think that there are company-specific things happening at Meta that I can actually digest and I can uh, get behind, and I can focus on the fundamentals, and that's really cost-cutting, but as well as them getting momentum in reels, and click-to-message, and those kinds of things that will help drive better growth in the back half of the year.
2: Yeah, that's a good point, Josh. I mean, we talk a lot about cost cuts, of course, but you really want to see organic growth. Revenue is projected to be up just 3% for Microsoft. I mean, is that a concern for you when you're looking also at how far the stock has already run? Microsoft's up 17% year to date, almost double what the S&P 500 has done.
3: Okay, so I bought more uh, Alphabet the other day, and it was a, a dramatic average up, which I don't do that often. Um, but I, I just felt like, um, and and this is not specifically a call about you know tonight's earnings news, but I just felt that. Google was poised to have a better year than Microsoft, and I'll lay out the case as to why. Both of these stocks, by the way, are are trading above their 50-day and their 200-day moving averages. Microsoft is about 5% from its 52-week high, which is incredible, Um, but Google is still 14% away, and I think has more ground to make up. Google is trading at a 23 PE. Microsoft is trading at a 31 PE. So I think in Alphabet, you've got um, a little bit more of a margin of safety, Um, Both companies have had their challenges. Microsoft has seen five straight quarters of slowing revenue growth. The reason why this stock has held up so well is because gross margins are holding up. 67 to 68% going all the way back to the fourth quarter of 2020. That is truly remarkable performance in this day and age of higher labor costs, higher expenses, pretty much across the board. But... Microsoft's, and Stephanie could debate me on this, but Microsoft's cloud revenue saw a decline in growth in Q3 of 2022, a little bit of a bounce in Q4, uh, up 7%, Um, but even though Google is facing that same revenue growth slowdown, um, Google Cloud actually has been growing while Microsoft has either been declining or just so-so. Obviously, Microsoft's much bigger and that gives Google the opportunity to grow that business. In the meanwhile, Google search is still a monster. You know, we forget. This is a business that had $42.6 billion in revenue, just standalone, uh, in Q4 of 2022. Of course, YouTube will be important. Uh, I think YouTube shorts are starting to catch on as a social media format. Hopefully we'll hear some more color on that as well. So look, I, I think both companies are really well positioned. I just think the bigger opportunity right now is in, is in Alphabet.
5: I mean, I think the, the bogey for cloud for Google, for Alphabet is 20%, down from 24%. The bogey for Microsoft's cloud is about 22%, mm-hmm. right, down from 30%. So, I mean, these numbers are coming down pretty darn fast. And I totally agree, Microsoft is expensive, but actually its long-term history is about 35 times forward estimates. So it's come down, it's trading below its historical average. Mm-hmm. And I don't, dis- I don't disagree that Alphabet is cheap at 19 times. I just think if I look at all of them, the big ones, Meta is trading at 17 times this year, and it's trading at 13 and a half times next year. And the second half of the year this year should see double-digit revenue growth and 30% earnings growth. So I just think that the valuation for what you're getting, people don't really believe. I mean, I know, again, the stock is up a lot this year, but it was down a lot last year as well. Jason, you you
2: own Alphabet and Microsoft. What would be a catalyst for you to double down your position, buy a little bit more. What do you want to hear from the CEOs on those calls?
4: Yeah, for sure. I think what's interesting about well, the conversation we're having about cloud, 9% of, of, of Google Cloud, Google Cloud is only 9% of their revenue, mm. right? So search is o- almost 60% of their revenue. Last year, they did 282 billion in total revenues. Google search was about 162 billion. So, um, you know, the concern for me about Google, when I think about this whole story with Bing and, and, the, and the platform story and, and also with Apple, let, let's see how that plays out. I think that is a material development as it relates to this stock, um, you know, but, I, but I, I continue to like Microsoft. Microsoft is expensive to yeah. your point. I mean, 31 times, but historically, I mean, still still somewhat of a discount, yeah. but still at a very expensive stock. Um, but the but free
5: cash flow is so incredible, right? So, 100%. And, and they do have a lot of catalysts ahead of them. 100%. AI. AI and, and, right? and I think AI is yeah. a big
4: revolutionary story behind Microsoft. So,
5: do you worry about in Alphabet, do you worry about in search that they have a lot of exposure to financials?
4: Oh I think so I think' that's, I think that's an issue potentially yeah. Yeah. yeah and I but the other the other point I wanted to make is also on, on advertising advertising is is starting to grow it was a miss last quarter I think it was a miss of around three percent and it's going to be a slower miss. Uh, it's predicted to be a slower miss this quarter, so we'll see. I think it, there's it's some mixed catalysts here and there.
2: And what about what about what the ad spend and what the read through is for for the broader economic picture yeah. for for all of us for the entire economy, but also for the future of that company? Yeah. Say go out two three quarters.
4: Yeah, so ad spend is always a concern, it's particularly in a slowdown. And right. when we're looking at macro, I mean, that's, that's when the ad spending starts to slow. And I think that is a concern. But I think there's enough strength in other areas of the business okay. that, that will kind of give them some strength going forward.
2: Josh?
3: Yeah, I would just say we know that ad spending will be challenged in an environment like this. But it doesn't quite work the way some people think. What actually ends up happening is that advertisers still need to spend money, and what they do is they consolidate to only the best platforms to do their advertising, and those are Meta and Google, and I don't even know who the third place would be. So what ends up happening in an ad slowdown is all these random websites and all these third, fourth, fifth tier social networks, um, TV networks, they starve, but... Google, Facebook are like the proven, the best solutions for advertising. The ones that advertisers know are going to give them the highest hit rate, the most bang for their buck and introduce the least amount of questions or problems from the companies that pay them to do the advertising. And so I don't think that that phenomenon, that secular, uh, cyclical advertising slowdown is really going to be a challenge For these two companies in particular, and to a lesser extent, Microsoft is now involved in advertising. So is Amazon. I don't think those companies have anything to worry about, quite frankly. The Huffington Post has something to worry about.
5: Wait, you know, we forgot to mention that Apple privacy comps mm. get a lot easier going forward. And that's going to be a, a, a nice tailwind for all of these companies. There you go. So I think that that's something to watch, especially for Meta, mostly for Meta, yeah. <laughs> which is why I worry so much. About, but I, I do think that that is really um, going to be something that is, gets talked a lot about. And the solutions that all of these companies have put in place to get past this.
2: Great point. Great point. Let's talk about some of today's other big earnings reports, the ones that we've heard from already. General Electric beat on the top and the bottom lines and raised the low end of its earnings forecast. Steph, you own this. This is actually a pretty substantial beat here for GE, huh?
5: Finally. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And I think this stock, along with Boeing, they both trade on free cash flow and the free cash flow came in much better than expected. And the guidance for free cash flow was higher than expected. I don't I almost don't even pay attention to what their revenue guide is Mm because I'm really just that much more obsessed about free cash flow. got to get their acts together there. And I think they will. And I just think, over time, the story gets much more simple and much more easy to understand. It's an aviation play, right? Once they spin out power and renewables, which is gonna come in January of next year. So then you can decide which ones you like. Um, I happen to like GE for sure. GE Healthcare is getting hit very hard today. I think that was just profit-taking and very high expectations, but I think Mm -hmm. that story is also very attractive and I'd be a buyer of that one on weakness, but same same on GE.
2: CEO Larry Culp telling Seema Modi, um, margin compression is a risk here, potentially renewables looking to turn a profit in 2024. The Stock though trading at levels not seen since January of 2018. So are you you in at a level where you feel comfortable and you're not
5: ready to buy more because of where we're trading? I've owned this for a while. And so it's had a really nice run this year up 50%. So I'm not inclined to chase it. Um, I'm still trying to decide what I want to do to the renewables piece. If I want to be involved in that piece, uh, that's a real turnaround, but I think that in the second half of the year, that orders could actually double. I mean, orders actually were quite strong this quarter, so I think there is some upside to you know that that piece of the the story. But overall, aviation is really just a gem, and uh, and it's just getting to be a cleaner a cleaner story. Hmm. Josh, you have a take here on General Electric?
3: I don't. Uh, Stephanie is definitely the axe on this stock for Shears. our show. Um, but, I w- but, I, but I would point out to the extent that GE is susceptible just to uh, the, the global economy and obviously some of the big drivers there, healthcare spending, energy, etc. Um, those are really, I think, areas that people are not specifically worried about right now from a macro perspective. So hopefully for her sake and for the shareholders of GE's sake, those uh those forces remain intact and that gives this company the backdrop for the improvement to continue
2: Let's move on to McDonald's, also beating on earnings and revenue. Global same-store sales up roughly 12%. Steph, you've also been watching this one. McDonald's trading at all-time highs back to its IPO in 1965. They're going to give us some innovations on the Big Mac, some extra Big Mac sauce. It just <laughs> seems like they got
5: it going on. Yeah, they do. Digital drive-through, new products across the board. I mean, those comp numbers were amazing. Really good. But if you look at consumer staples, which this is considered, mm-hmm. they're all reporting really great numbers. I know we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other names that have reported, but... I mean, if you think about, like, Jason mentioned P&G, mm. right, Kimberly Clark, right. Coke, um, Pepsi, PepsiCo. right? You know, there are so many of these companies are doing so well. Even L'Oreal, LVMH. Yep. I mean, the yep. high end, the low end, all over the place. Right. Carrying right. actually just reported first quarter sales above consensus here go. in last right. couple minutes. Absolutely. So I think there's a lot of ways you can play consumer staples. I've been adding. I added uh, Keurig, Dr Pepper. I added this past quarter Procter and Gamble as well. Um, but at the flip side, I still like discretionary too. Mm. And TJX I added while you were on um, maternity leave, <laughs> and uh, and I. And And I think that there's a way to play consumer, especially as China reopens. Mm. Right. If you think about that is going well, we look at Macau again, LVMH. The numbers have been really very impressive. So I think I think the consumer has been hanging in there uh, to my surprise. Um, But uh, so so I actually have a lot of exposure there. I'm still overweight. Jason, what do you make at McDonald's here?
4: So I don't, I, don't own, I don't own McDonald's stock. But, but to Steph's point, just on some of these staples that have really done well over the last couple of weeks, yeah. some of the earnings that have been surprising, um, the, the theme for me is pricing power. Mm. You know, Pepsi, PepsiCo, Procter & Gannel, organic sales getting to six, six to seven percent range. I mean, you know, on the high end of the guide from last quarter, you know, this is a positive. I think that the market has early on in the in the season, early on this year, I think the concern around Staples has been they're expensive, Yeah. you know, um, but the multiples have come in some and, and I think that the earnings are backing up the story. So I really like some of these names here.
2: Josh, I know you're not in McDonald's, but you are in Shake Shack. Any read throughs from McDonald's report that give you confidence in the position in Shake Shack?
3: You know, not really, although they both on the surface Uh, sell burgers and fries, I think it's a different customer base, and I think it's a different use case, if I could borrow from the lexicon of technology. (laughs) Um, Shack really really is benefiting now because of the return of tourism, and most of their locations are in high-traffic areas, they're in cosmopolitan cities, they're in airports, they're in destinations, and they're in midtown and downtown locations where people work. So to the extent that that has not come all the way back yet, there is still room for improvement. Um, but I, I, I think if you think about the fundamentals of Shack relative to its market cap, this is still a fast-growing company opening a lot of locations, still gaining traction with the consumer, um, going to places where people even haven't really had the Shack experience yet or have had it while they were away and now they can have it at home. And it's a $2 billion market cap. It's the cheapest valuation you've been able to buy this stock at since it's come public uh, almost 10 years ago. So I, I like the stock here. Um, it's, it's been tough because it really hasn't performed in the last couple of years, but I think it'll be fine. I also want to highlight Domino's Pizza, which has been a horrible stock, um, really like suffered with the rest of the work from home stocks in this post-pandemic period. Um, a couple of weeks ago, the CEO just bought a million sh- uh, dollars worth of stock on the open market, and he already owns tons of stock. There's a lot of reasons why insiders sell. They often sell on a predetermined schedule, Um, but this guy's buying and his stock has been absolutely trashed. It was $560, now it's 300 bucks. Um, It's one that I'm keeping on my radar, still in a downtrend, but if it can break that downtrend, I think the comps start to get easier. They were really tough last year, and this is the type of stock that could go up very quickly once the sentiment around it changes.
2: Yeah, Domino's down about 4% year to date. Let's move on to General Motors. That company beat estimates and raised the full year guidance. Josh, I'm gonna go back to you because you used to be in this name. Anything that you heard from the call, from the earnings release make you wanna dip back in?
3: No, uh, this stock is like watching paint dry. It was $32 a share today in 2013. Uh, It's $32 a share today. Uh, I really don't know what would would have to happen to change that. It's trading right smack in the middle of its range back to the pre-pandemic period. So for three years, it's been down, it's been up, it's been back down. Basically, it does nothing, goes nowhere. It's only a 1% dividend yield, so not enough to keep me interested. I actually think the company has done all of the right things. I think the, the push into electrification... Um, the simplification of, of what they're doing from a business model standpoint, the execution. There's nothing that you could really complain about in terms of how they're managing the business and the strategic initiatives. It just doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Like, I, I could envision a scenario where the stock trades at three or four times earnings and they keep growing earnings. So it's really a frustrating situation. And I would just say to the people that are in it, it's like, call me when it breaks out. Like that, then I want to then I want to look back at it and say, OK, why is it breaking out now? But until then, I mean, you might as well own a CD at a bank.
2: Before we move on, I just want to get your thought here because you brought up electrification. CFO Paul Jacobson told reporters that GM doesn't believe it needs to match or follow the recent price cuts on the EVs like Tesla did. Do you think that that's the right decision? You said they're doing all the right things. Is that the right thing?
3: Oh, gotcha. me? Yeah, well, listen, I, I, I couldn't speak to which models they might want to cut prices on, et cetera. how important market share is to their strategy versus pricing power. But I would just say, if you're a shareholder and, and you're in this stock, that's not the real question. The real question is what is going to bring other investors into this stock at higher prices. And I really don't think that that would have anything to do with it. The thing is, I don't know what the answer to that question is. And so I wait and see if the market uh, decides to figure that out without me.
2: Fair enough. Well, stay with us. Up next, our chart of the day on one regional bank stock plunging to all-time lows. Halftime is back in two minutes.
4: Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com.
5: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number
2: We're back on halftime. Check out our chart of the day. Shares of First Republic plunging on earnings, hitting a new all-time low. Let's get over to Dom Chu. He's got the details on this messy print. Dom.
6: All right. So, Courtney, the volatility we're seeing in that stock is something that was expected, but the downside direction may have caught some traders off guard, especially given the big upside move into that earnings print. So it wasn't really all about the better than expected earnings or better than expected revenues. Deposit levels were key here. They were much worse than consensus estimates. They fell to $104.5 billion at the end of March. They were 176.4 billion at the end of the previous quarter. That's a nearly 41% drop. Deposit levels did stabilize in the first few weeks of the current quarter, but they still fell by another $1.8 billion from the quarter end through April 21st. There's also a concern building that the relationship banking model, key to First Republic's historical success, could be in jeopardy with clients potentially leaving the bank, including those all-important high and ultra-high net worth wealth management customers. It is something that CEO Michael Roffler addressed very early in yesterday's earnings call.
1: Despite the uncertainty of the past two months, and while average account sizes have decreased, we have retained over 97% of client relationships that banked with us at the start of the first quarter.
6: All right. So First Republic also laid out plans to cut jobs and real estate costs, also executive compensation. And Courtney, I will give this as color. The call lasted just 12 minutes and there was no Q&A before it just pretty much ended. That was the First Republic report and call. I'll send things back over to you.
2: Oh, wow. That is an interesting note on that. Wow. 12 minutes, no questions from analysts. That's just dumb. I was going to say, there, I mean, how many questions must the analyst community have right now? That
5: is just Holy cow. That's just not, that's ill-advised, as my friend Jim Cramer would say. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, I, really, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense, because then you wind up g- giving more questions or leaving more questions to investors in general, right? So, look, I think the regionals are, are It's they're really hard. They're, they're hard to even bottom fish here to look and see, even the, the highest quality ones. But, you know, they're going to continue to lose share. And the big ones, the big banks are going to gain share. And that's what we saw this past quarter, right? I mean, J.P. Morgan was stellar and they raised net interest income. uh, And that stock trades at a premium as it should. Uh, But I think that other companies did pretty well, like Wells Fargo did very well, 45 percent in net interest income. Expenses were flat, better than expected. Uh, Loan growth was six percent, trades at 0.9 times book. and, And they are gaining share as well. So I like that one. Morgan Stanley had a very good Quarter, and I think capital markets were in the process of bottoming. So there are a couple of names in, in this sector that you can own, but I think you have to be very selective, and I just wouldn't touch the regionals here.
2: Do you think that the problems are over? The hey, big problems hey, that we saw from the I regionals? Do. Okay. I do. That's good news. Yeah, Josh.
3: I w- I was gonna say one of the interesting pieces of the story here that touches on my industry is that First Republic also had a very large wealth management operation. And the future of that is very much in doubt. This is now going to be maybe a single-digit stock price when all is said and done. This is a company that has stabilized itself. They said uh, they've got about $45 billion in either capital or access to capital, which should more than cover about double what their, what their uh, interest rates are, and all the debt they had to take down. But that's on the bank side. Now imagine they have 200 financial advisors, Uh, Wealth management 10 years ago was about 5% of their revenues. Now it's 15%. They They claim they have $271 billion in AUM from the wealth management side. Now, fortunately, they work with outside custodians, so nobody really seemed to have panicked there. I, I think they probably custody it like Pershing and, and, and some others. Um, but how many financial advisors are gonna stick around there now and you know, wanna introduce themselves to new wealth management clients as, oh, hey, I'm with First Republic. Like, <laughs> think yeah, about how difficult it is just, just to be a, a financial advisor and gain someone's trust and confidence. Telling them that you are uh, NFA and you work at a division of a bank that was just bailed out by seven other banks and the federal agencies, it's not, it's not great optics. So that was a big part of their growth. I don't know what happens with that. Maybe they'll sell it. Maybe there'll be gradual attrition. Um, but I definitely would not be bottom fishing in this name here.
2: Too bad the analysts didn't get a chance to ask the executives about that on the <laughs> call today, right? Stephanie and Jason, you're not interested in First Republic, but yeah. you're not hands off all regionals.
4: Yeah, so PNC is a is super regional we have exposure to. And, and if I think about the print, and, and Steph makes a great point, not all these names are treated the same. Um, you know, if I look at PNC's report, you know, their average loans rose 12 percent, you know, in the quarter. Uh, net interest margin growth was solid. We also own Bank of America, which, I, which had a solid quarter as well. Um, you know, Goldman Sachs had a mixed quarter. They're still trying to figure out this Marcus and the, the retail uh, business. But I think, you know, when we're thinking about financials in general, we're late stage of the expansion. So, generally speaking, I mean, these aren't names that we're running towards. So, I think you have to really be careful about what you own here.
2: Well, next in our calls of the day, bullish commentary on two big consumer related stocks. How the committee is positioned, that's coming up on halftime.
1: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write, it works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to ai
5: common side effects include increased productivity compliments from co-workers feelings of satisfaction
1: now i can say bye-bye to writer's block
5: ask your boss if canva magic is right for you at canva.com
2: designed for work
5: yeah.
7: back to Halftime Report. I'm Christina Parts Nevelis, and here's our CNBC News update at this hour. The United States Office of Management and Budget said President Biden will veto House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's proposal to increase the debt limit if it reaches his desk. The plan, called the Limit, Save, Grow Act of 2023, would return total discretionary spending to the fiscal year 2022 level and get rid of Biden's student debt cancellation program. The OMB said House Republicans must, quote, address the debt limit without demands and conditions. Jury selection set to begin in writer E. Jean Carroll's civil lawsuit accusing Donald Trump of rape. Carroll said the former president attacked her in a New York City department store nearly three decades ago. Trump denied the allegations, calling them, quote, a con job. This trial comes weeks after Trump pleaded not guilty in a separate case involving hush money payments made during his 2016 presidential campaign. Ed Sheeran also in court today, ahead of opening statements in the copyright trial over Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. The hairs of Ed Townsend, Gaye's co-writer, sued Sheeran on claims that his hit 2014 song Thinking Out Loud has striking similarities to Gay's 1973 classic. The trial is expected to last up to two weeks. Court, back
2: to you. Thank you very much, Christina Parts and well, Two big analyst calls out today. Baird reiterating Nike is outperformed and Deutsche Bank reiterates PayPal as a buy. Let's start with Nike. Steph, you own this. What's your take on this call? I assume you probably like it. I, I think you're it.
5: long, Nike. I, I like that. Um, you know, I don't know if there's a real short-term catalyst mm. um, to, to be buying it here. Not China. Well, I do like it because of China. I do like it because the inventories are still high, but they're coming down. As you know, they were up 16% last quarter, but that was up against 43 the quarter before. So they are actually getting better at that. And I do like the China piece as well. And I think the DTC is very interesting. Right? It's now 27% of total revenues, and that has very big implications for gross margins, operating margins as well. Mm -hmm. So I I like the story. I just don't know if there's a catalyst right now today to be buying it. If it were to pull back a bit more, then I would be. interested.
2: Okay. Josh, what do you think of Nike in general with the backdrop of the consumer and what we're seeing right now as we brace for maybe a recession, maybe not, but hey, we're still spending. So how do you play this?
3: I mean, it, it looks like it wants to break out. Uh, 130 and a half, give or take, would be the trigger. And it's right there. Um, you know, I'm looking at a one-year chart. stock is above its 200-day. Uh, it, it seems like it wants to go. I, I would give it a little bit more time and maybe be willing to miss a few points from a trading perspective. From an investing perspective, I agree with Stephanie. Like It's a, it's a great company. It's a great stock. The valuation is not particularly compelling. And I'm not sure that there's anything fundamental, um, you know, to serve as a, as a catalyst for a big jump in valuation, let's say, or a big jump in fundamentals. So um, it's not my kind of situation and I'm not in it currently.
2: OK, let's get to the bullish call on PayPal. Jason, you own this one. This one um, was given a reiteration at Deutsche Bank again as a buy here with a price target of 100 bucks.
4: Yeah, so PayPal's interesting. I mean, the the uh, the multiples come in dramatically, it's, you know, down. It's trading at 15 times forward. I mean, through the pandemic, it was way above that <laughs> um, as an example. But um, Elliott's been in there for some time. And I think that that's value. I think they're really starting to work through. Um, you know, optimizing the existing consumer base, which I think is is, is gonna be accretive to the stock going forward. I think total payment volumes are there's an expectation of some growth there. And I think there's also this idea of, you know, through the pandemic, out, coming out of the pandemic, we have shifted our spending to services. And I think there's some e-commerce growth coming back online. And I think PayPal will benefit from that.
2: What about the risk that it's potentially losing market share? That's something that Deutsche Bank pointed to.
4: Yeah, no, I, I think that is concerning because there's more players in the space now. Um, but I, I do think Elliott will help with that. They'll help them restructure their business to really continue to benefit from the e-commerce Acceleration that I, I mean, think this was a about. stock
5: that traded at 75 times forward yes. estimates, right? A couple yes. of years ago, is now trading at 15 times. Yes, that's just amazing to me,
4: which I think is attractive. Yeah. So, you know, we were thinking about it as a high beta stock, yeah, you know, back through the pandemic, and now it's almost trading as a value stock, right. you know. So, I think there's opportunity here. Hmm.
2: Interesting stock. Unfortunately, out. I think,
3: oh, go ahead, uh, oh so sorry, no, no, go. unfortunately, you, you could sum up why this stock trades at 15 times versus 70 times. In two words, Apple Pay. Uh, this is going to be a really tough. This is going to be a really tough fight back. Um, Google Google Wallet also. I, I don't. I don't see how these guys win.
2: And that goes back to uh, Deutsche Bank's point there about potentially losing share. Well, coming up, UPS is under pressure. Earnings missing street expectations. Our Frank Holland speaking exclusively with the company CEO Carol Tomei. The headlines and the trade. That's coming up next on Halftime. We'll be right back.
0: Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askcaptime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade.
2: Welcome back to the Halftime Report. We're following another earnings mover. UPS is on pace for its worst day since 2015 following its first quarter results. And our Frank Holland just spoke exclusively with CEO Carol Tomei. He joins us live from UPS headquarters in Atlanta. Hi there, Frank.
1: Hey there, Courtney. Uh, CEO Carol Tomei, she was very confident that business would reaccelerate in the second half of the year, guiding that 56% of profit would come in the final two quarters of the year. That includes, of course, the holiday season, but today, as you look at that stock performance, investors are really keying in on the declines in U.S. volumes that accelerated during the quarter. But UPS UPSS stabilized in April. Tomei said a shift from goods to services and broader macro factors are weighing on the company's e-commerce business.
7: We saw retail sales in the United States take a market decline in the month of March, and we saw that in our business as well. There's a real change in consumer shopping behavior, moving from goods to service, spending more of their wallet on things like food. 9% of household budgets is going to food now, compared to 7% just a couple of years ago.
1: Today was also the first time that the UPS CEO has commented on the ongoing negotiations with the Teamsters. That union represents almost two-thirds of the UPS workforce. The union is seeking pay increases and other concessions. That contract expires at the end of July. Tomei said she's confident there will be at least a handshake deal in place by then, but did say the negotiations were having some impact on sales and new customer acquisitions
7: there's no guarantee in life except for death and taxes. So it would be naive of us to think there wouldn't be some volume uh, diversion, and there has been, but not much. We saw a decline, as you mentioned, in our average daily volume in the first quarter.
1: All right, Tomei also said UPS is beginning its use of artificial intelligence It's always used AI for mapping technology. So not talking about that, but now on pricing models to adjust to supply and demand. It's something that Tomei calls both exciting and scary. Courtney, back over to you.
2: Frank, what's going on with UPS's Amazon business? What's the latest from the quarter?
1: Yeah, you know what, the last read it was about 11% of business, but the company is actively trying to reduce that percentage of business, not only when it comes to UPS, but all customers. They're really focusing on their small and medium-sized business uh, concentration when it comes to volumes. That actually reached 30% this quarter, so it's the highest it's ever been. That business, of course, higher margin, and in general, the more those small and medium-sized businesses grows, the more that the UPS profit line grows.
2: Interesting stuff. Frank Collin in Atlanta, thank you very much. Let's trade this. Jason, you you. don't own UPS, but you own FedEx. And I found Ms. Tomei's comments particularly interesting about the consumer. I mean, she sounded a little bit more worried than some of the other CEOs that we've heard from that seem a little bit more wait and see. Like there could be concern to come, but they're not concerned now. But I didn't get that feeling from her.
4: For sure. I, I, I mean, that's exactly what she said. I think for me, as it relates to FedEx, I think FedEx is a turnaround story this year. You know, those a very difficult this year. Last year, they're up 30% year to date. Um, and you could see the you know, they're trading in sympathy now. UPS is down around 9%. You know, FedEx is down around close to 3%. But, um, you know, New management team at FedEx. You know they're they're focused on cost reduction. And I think they're lining up around a little over four billion dollars in cost reduction this year. New management team. They raised a dividend, nine point six percent quarterly dividend. So I think there's there's some runway there. You know they're they're very similar businesses, but I do think. Um, you know, I, I prefer FedEx, given kind of what's happened over the last quarter and, and their trajectory going through the rest of this year.
5: It's very surprising that this CEO, who's great, mm-hmm. former CFO at Home Depot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she's great. Mm-hmm. You know her well. Yes. Yeah. But it's surprising that she's just figuring out we're going from goods to services. We've been talking about this <laughs> for over a year. In yeah. fact, Target, a year <laughs> and a half ago, started talking about this. That's right. right. You know what happened to Target. Oh, Yes. And I do, unfortunately, because I owned it. (laughs) But my point being is, like, J.B. Hunt said this last week, that Mm -hmm. freight volumes are in a, freight is in a recession. Mm -hmm. And they they, they talk negatively about it. Okay, fine, that's, but thanks for the information. But I feel like this CEO at UPS, she should have known, and the management team should have been more aware. I mean, a 6.2% drop in ADV, average daily volumes, Mm -hmm. that's a big number, that's a big surprise. It
2: is, Mm -hmm. it is, yeah, those are good points. Well, up next, Mike Santoli is going to join us with his midday word. Halftime report will be back right after this. go back to halftime. We've got to get you another check on shares of First Republic. A new report from Bloomberg just hitting the tape that the bank is weighing up to $100 billion in asset sales. Stock price down 30%. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word, but we've got to get your sure. take on this first.
0: Well, we know they're in salvage mode, trying to raise liquidity anyway. way uh, the bank could, whether it was going to be raising equity or, or some other arrangement. So uh, this sort of shows you that they have to kind of you liquidate whatever's in-house. And there's other reports of. Uh, further big wealth management advisor groups leaving the firm. So I think it's one of the things testing the market today is just this sense of uh, we have a problem child in the banking sector. We don't know what to do about it. I don't think it's about contagion. It's much more about, you know, every other bank in the, you know, in that similar size range uh, or with a regional deposit base is going to be in that where we want to build let cash build up We want to do less in terms of extending credit to the economy. So uh, hard to say what it's going to mean for First Republic stock. I mean, the way the stock trades is as a, just a weird sliver of equity below this big balance sheet that maybe is going to be able to get worked out. So I don't think it's about what the business is worth. It's kind of like, you know, what's going to be left over once this process plays out. All right. What else are you watching today? Really, it's just the uh, the way that the market has gone from being kind of uh, correcting under the surface to having a little more of a defensive tone to it. Still contained. We had uh, you know a 1% drop in the S&P for a b- about a minute. Uh, so we'll see if <laughs> go below that. But it's very clear, small cap underperformance, that's been a theme. It's it's actually more pronounced today. If you look at things like utilities versus transports, UPS weighing on the transports, I think it's one of those days where just the same set of issues is in front of us, but now we're more focused on the the risk to growth because of UPS, because of consumer confidence and and the bank stuff. But uh, I've, I've been saying it's Still a routine pullback uh, until we kind of break below the early April lows in the S&P. We're not even there yet.
2: we got a big day still ahead of our news hearing from yeah. some of these tech giants after the bell. Thank you very much, uh, Mike. Well, Grade My Trade is up next. Go ahead and send an email to halftime at CNBC.com or tweet us. We'll be right back. It's time for Grade My Trade. First for Jason. Jose bought 1,000 shares of CVS at $73.11 last week prior to earnings. He wants to know, should he should this one be a long-term hold?
4: So I think so. This trade has been a very frustrating trade all year. It's down 21% year-to-date. The stock trade's at eight times earning. I think there's upside potential in the integration of Oak Street and Signify. So I would use this as a
2: long-term hold. And for Stephanie, JT bought Wynn Resorts at 103 bucks. Do you see more
5: upside for, from here on this one? I do long term. It's a very volatile stock, and you're up 8%, so that's a great job. Uh, long term, it's all about Macau and them reopening, and we are starting to see that. GGR is up over 50% year-to-date. Uh, but they also have great properties in Las Vegas and Boston as well, so I like this for the long term. Well,
2: final trades are coming up next on Halftime. We are back on halftime. It is now time for final trades. Josh, you get to start.
3: Uh, A.O. Smith earnings this week uh, about to approach a 52 week high. I'm in the stock and I like it long term.
2: Jason, you're up next.
4: I like UNH here. They had strong earnings that beat on the top and the bottom line. The stock is down about 8 percent in the last 10 days. I think there's some value here. Yeah.
5: I like it. Weiss picked UNH yesterday as well. Stephanie, what's your final trade? Well, that was a good quarter, and it yeah. didn't get rewarded for it at all. It was down on the day. But j and J, I I thought that they also had a very good quarter in terms of their various different businesses. Pharmaceuticals grew north of 4%. Uh, MedTech, 7%. Consumer, 7%. Eventually, the story gets even more simple because they are spinning off consumer, mm-hmm. right, which you were going to be covering very closely. So I like it at 15 times.
2: All right. We've got some nice final trades here, and the Dow sitting... In the red here still as we've been sort of treading water these last couple days, getting ready to hear from some really big players after the bell today. The Dow Jones Industrials off by half a percent, S&P 500 down by a percent. And we are at the session lows for the major sessions. Yield on the 10-year is sitting below 3.5 at 3.4. And that pretty much does it for halftime as utilities are the leading uh, sector here today. Consumer staples pretty defensive and energy is the biggest laggard. That does it for halftime. Thanks for joining us. The Exchange